this morning, what I want to do is I want to take a, take a look at um, something that we're all aware of, but sometimes I find as a pastor, people will say, I feel somewhat inadequate for the task, and that's what we call personal evangelism. So we're going to focus on that. And it's interesting, when you take a look at the Bible, what you really see once you take a look at various texts is if you're going to be a genuine, orthodox, true church, you really can't be that without engaging in the task of evangelism. So we're going to consider that. Colossians chapter 4, and I want to draw your attention now to verse 2. So let's draw our attention here. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Colossa, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is, which is how I ought to speak. Especially verses 5 and 6, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. You'll find that term used upon occasion in the New Testament, outsider. And an outsider is one who's outside the faith, very simply. Walk in wisdom towards them, making the best use of the time. And let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, you won't find it on the screen, but if you have a Bible with you, you all you have to do is probably turn one or two pages over to the book of 1 Thessalonians. That's right after the book of Colossians. And I want to draw your attention just to one phrase in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 12, where the Apostle Paul, again, is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit to the church that is found in Thessalonica, Greece. He says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 12, 12, walk properly or circumspectly before, and there's that word again, outsiders. And before I cite 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, I want to cite a, a text also, you don't have to turn there, but it's found in the first uh, book of Peter, chapter 2, verse 9, where uh, we find again our identity and purpose as a church. And in that book, the Apostle Peter now, under the inspiration of the Spirit, defines us as a chosen race, he says, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, a holy nation. And he says, you are all of these things. You are my chosen people. You are people who are set apart to me. You are my possession so that, what, we could revel in these blessings and say, isn't it wonderful that God has chosen us in Jesus Christ? Well, yeah, it is a privilege, but that identity that we have is also for the sake of responsibility. He goes on to say, you are these things so that you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God has put us together as a people to declare, to speak. And then finally, this text from 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. Can you put that up there, please? There you go. I want you to take a look at that text. And um, I'm going to cite it the way that, that I memorized it a number of years ago from the New American Standard Version, so it might be a little bit different. But it goes like this. Sanctify the Lord in your hearts. That is, set apart the Lord in your hearts. And be able to give an account literally an apologia, a defense of the hope that is within you to anyone who asks, yet with gentleness and reverence. 
And this is just a, a, a brief selection of a number of texts that we find in the Bible that presents us with the fact that we are to be an outward-faced church, number one, and as an outward-faced church, we must not be silent about the gospel. That if we are Christians and God has saved us from our sins through Jesus Christ and brought us into a reconciled relationship with him, this is the most beautiful thing in the world, and how can we keep quiet about that? Declare, declare, tell people too about this good news, that they too may come to Christ. All right. Um, I want to mention a number of elements to evangelism here this morning. I want to use the text that we looked at here as kind of a jumping off point for evangelism and take a look at a few other texts as well. Before we look at them, I want to, I want to share something with you. Uh, some time ago, I was, uh, I was on, a, uh, on a jog, and a lot of times um, what I like to do is I like to end my jog with kind of a, a cool-off run at a place called Delaire Park. A number of you know where Delaire Park is. It's, it's near where we live. And so I went to Delaire Park, and is, there's, a, there's a, a, a path, a gravel path that goes around Delaire Park. And I, I, I was starting on my cool down, and as I was starting on this path, I saw this woman. And she was a little bit younger than myself. And I don't know if you ever have this, but I, if, I don't know if you've ever had it where you, you look at someone and there's just, you don't hear voices, but you get an impression. It's like, I bet she's a Christian. This went in my mind. I, I, I bet she, I, she just looks like a Christian. I, if there's a little bit of light about her, I, I don't know. Anyway, so I, I jogged past her, and I, I went around her, and then as I was going through my second loop, I again met her on, on the path, but she was talking with an East Indian woman. And again, there was this impression that came over me that was, it was just very subtle, but it was like, I bet you anything, she's sharing the gospel. She's talking to Jesus about this woman. I thought, maybe, maybe she met this woman and said, you know, knew her from the neighborhood and said, let's go for a walk, and then they met each other in the park. But there's just something that said, I, I, I think she's probably sharing the faith. So what I did is I, I, I went past them, and they were kind of animated in their discussion, whatever they were talking about. And I went past them, and then there was this insatiable desire to just satisfy my thought, like, is she sharing the faith or not? So I, I slowed down, and I walked a little bit slower and slower so they could catch up. And by the way, that's called eavesdropping, which usually that's supposed to do. My kids call it creeping. Dad, you can't creep on people, you know, that kind of stuff. But I just had to. So I slowed down, and I waited for them to catch up. And, okay, so I'm drawing to a close here. So they, they come up behind me, and they start going past me. And as they're going past me, I hear this woman who was talking to this East Indian woman, and I heard her say, now, some people question whether there's a paradise or an afterlife, but I believe that there is. And then they just kept walking. And I thought, sure enough, she's sharing her faith with this woman that, that she just met in the park. Because I don't think they had any, you know, pre-existing relationship. And I'd like to think that that woman belonged to a church that encouraged that kind of thing and equipped people for that kind of thing. And I, and I thought to myself, I'd like to think that Pathway Christian Church is that kind of church too. That we are, we are people who are, who are open with our faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we're going to look at, we're going to look at e evangelism, but we, we have to ask ourselves the question, just what is that? What, what, is, what is evangelism? You know, oftentimes, don't we hear that churches talk about missions and evangelism, evangelism and missions, and they kind of, they, they don't lump them together, so there must be a difference. So what's the difference? Mission is just, which we've been looking at over the past number of weeks, grounding it in, in the biblical account. Mission is, is a broader term than evangelism. So what mission is, mission has to do with our identity and our purpose as God's people, which we've been going over and over again over the past few weeks. And mission gets at the heart of the fact that God is a missionary God and we are missionary people who are called to participate in God's mission to the world, his restorative mission of grace to the world. Remember, as Jesus said in John 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me into the world, so now I send you. It has to do with mission. Evangelism is narrower. Evangelism is a part of mission. Not the whole of mission, but it's a part of mission and it really has to do with a verbal proclamation of the good news, speaking forth the good news of Jesus Christ into other people's lives. One person once described uh, evangelism in this way. You probably like this uh, definition. It's less technical. This, this person said, evangelism is basically one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So when I was pastoring in Phoenix, there would be people every once in a while who'd come because it was centrally located. They would come, a homeless guy, I remember one time, came to us, and I talked with him, and he, was, he needed some help, and so we don't give out money, but we brought him to a back pantry and said, here's some food and stuff, you can take it with you, and he appreciated that, and guess what happened two days after that? Well, we have more people come, right? Because what happens is that a person within that homeless community gets what he desires, which he needs basically bread, and then what he does is he goes tells the other individuals who are in need, and they come as well. That's the way you have to think about evangelism, that we're all beggars together. And as beggars together, we go out to other beggars, and we tell them where to find bread. And where is that bread found? Right? The bread is found in Jesus, right? John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Telling other beggars where to find bread in Jesus. Okay. But really the $64,000 question for a lot of people is this. How do, you, how do you do that? How do you actually share your faith with others? I mean, I know I have to open my mouth, obviously. But how do you go about doing that? And I find oftentimes there, there are, there are what, what people really kind of want is they want technique help. Like, how do I actually start that conversation? How do I keep that conversation going? How do I respond to so-and-so if they ask me such-and-such, such, right? In other words, they kind of want a helpful template or framework for bringing the faith to others, and that can be helpful to a certain extent, but only to a certain extent. And why do I say that? Because techniques usually fall short because... Because every person that you deal with is different, and their situation is different, and their religious background, if they have, is, is different. So there's never really, we could put it this way, there's never one-size-fits-all approach to evangelism. That's why the techniques kind of fall by the wayside. 
Now, this doesn't mean, however, that the evangelistic enterprise is kind of futile and you better just hope that you can do well at the time. Because when you take a look at the Bible, what you find are there's various elements that make up this whole evangelistic enterprise. So what I'm saying is, when you take a look at the Bible and you look at the examples of evangelism in the Bible, which are many, you find that the Bible presents us with a kind of a more organic very natural approach to speaking about our faith to others. So what I want to do, and I want to draw upon other various texts in the Bible, I'm, going to, and I'm not going to go on overly long this morning, but I want to talk about a number of elements of evangelism, and I want you to think about this because you're all part of care groups, and I, I trust that you're regularly attending your care groups because they're at the very center of our church's ministry. And you're going to be talking about these things. And I'm going to bring up a number of elements now of evangelism. And when I'm done here this morning, you may think, oh, I wish he would have touched on this or that. And if I missed it, bring it up in your care groups and talk about these kinds of things. So the first important element for evangelism actually is, doesn't even have to do with opening our mouths. It has to do with this has to do with your heart. So the, the, the question that you have to ask yourself here this morning is this. What's in here? What's in your heart? And it begins by asking yourself the question, do I actually have a burden in my heart for those that I do either not know in this city or people that I do know who need to come into contact with the Savior, with Jesus. It begins, begins here, and you have to ask, what, 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 what's going on? Do, do you have a burden? Right? Does, it, does it bother you that people don't know Christ? The reason why I bring that out, because when you take a look at the Apostle Paul, who he himself was converted by Jesus himself in a very dramatic way on the road to Damascus. You want to read about that, read about that in the book of Acts chapter 9. But the Apostle Paul had a burden for individuals. If you could put that first one up there um, from the book of Romans. Take a look at that. This is what he writes. Brothers, he says, my heart's desire. He says this in here. My heart's desire and prayer to God is that they may be saved. Who's the they? It's his fellow Jews. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to true knowledge. Oh, they're religiously zealous. And they try to bring the law of God to bear upon people's lives. And they seek to have the people of God conform themselves to that law. But he says they're without true knowledge because they don't know Jesus, who is the end of the law who, 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 for all those who come to him. And when I mean the end of the law, I mean the law as a means whereby we establish our righteousness before God. Because as most people in the world today, they kind of go, if you ask them, you know, uh, how do you think that you can be in a right relationship with God? Well, you know, I, I think I'm doing okay. I've been a pretty good person. Paul says, no, that's not what Christianity is all about. You're not a good person. You need Jesus. And Paul says that's about my people. They don't know Jesus. They don't have true knowledge. So he says, my heart, I, I realize they're lost. So, so my heart's desire is for them, that they may come to the truth that is found in Christ. So it began with a burden of the heart. So why do I bring this out? Because, you know what, I can stand here and talk to them blue in the face, or you can read all kinds of books on evangelism and go, oh, that's nice, okay, I learned this and this and this. 
But if you don't have any fire in your heart, it's just kind of a waste of time, you know. It begins with a burden of heart. Now, the second element, and that is this. And again, it doesn't even have anything to do with talking, declaring anything. It begins in the human heart with a burden, followed by simply this, prayer. And this is something that, I, that it would be wonderful we could talk about in our care groups too. The place of prayer in our lives, particularly prayer for God to open up doors for us in the lives of other people. I think sometimes in our, in our care groups when we're praying together and we kind of go around the room and we kind of go, who, who, who can we pray for? It's very easy just to, to, mention, to, to mention what one man, uh, John Miller, once called pray, uh, maintenance prayer items, right? People that we know and individuals even that we pray for this morning. And we should be doing that. Of course, that's what care groups are all about. But sometimes we can do that to the exclusion of those who are in need of the gospel who don't know the gospel. And it's worth bringing out care group leaders Every time you meet, bring it up. Who are we going to pray for here? Who do you know who's outside the faith that we can pray for that God will open up a door? Now, why do I say that? Take a look again um, at the book of Colossians. Can you put the next one up there? Okay. Colossians chapter 4, where Paul says, verse 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then he goes on to say, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open up to us a door to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am prison, that I may make it clear how I ought to speak. So he's, he's writing to the people and saying, would you please pray for us? You know what prayer is? It's called pre-evangelism. That's what you do before you actually speak. You're praying, Lord, open those doors. I know so-and-so and so-and-so. Lord, may you, may you please offer me that opportunity to have a door opened for me. So once you open it, I'm going to go through it. Now, once you have that burden and you're praying for these kinds of things, then the third element is this. Once the Lord opens up the door, and by the way, be careful what you pray for. Because you pray for the right things, God tends to answer those prayers. Sometimes he makes us persist. That's the nature of prayer. But once God, not if, but when he opens that door for you, that you're fervently in your heart praying for, then you have to be prepared to walk through that door. Have you ever had it where you prayed for something, and God opens up the door, and then you don't walk through it? God's like, well, then why did you ask for that open door? Walk through it. It's called personal initiative. That's the third element, personal initiative. Here's the thing. Personal initiative. I thought long and hard about this. Personal initiative is sometimes hard for us. It requires a certain amount of boldness, right? Personal initiative becomes easier when you, when you actually believe that the gospel is good news. Do you believe that the gospel is good news? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that the gospel is good news for those who's... And if you, if you mix with people who are outside the faith, you, you realize that their consciences many times are racked by guilt because of stuff that they've done way in the past or things that are done recently. Do you believe that the gospel is actually good news for people whose consciences are racked by guilt? 
Do you believe that the, that, that the gospel is good news for those who are caught in a lifestyle that is actually enslaving them and they have dug themselves into a deep pit that they cannot get out of? Do you believe that the gospel is good news for those who, and you'll meet people like this, who believe in an afterlife, and I will tell you, it's very interesting how many people I have talked to that even though they don't call themselves Christians, they believe that there's a good place and there's a bad place that you can go after you die. They even believe in the concept of heaven and hell as they understand it. Do you believe the gospel is actually good news for people who are actually frightened by the fact that they may not go to this place called heaven, but they're actually going to go to hell? And do you also believe that the gospel is good news for those who are living a life of just absolute restlessness? Just restless, restless. The Apostle Paul said this, he said, you know what, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I'm not ashamed of taking that personal initiative. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Begins in the heart, followed by prayer, followed by personal initiative. Here's another element. The importance of understanding the gospel and culture. That is, the world in which we are living. You know, Peter says this. He says, be able to give an account. Literally a defense of the faith. To anyone who asks, yet with gentleness and reverence. So there's, there's when we're talking about evangelism, we're talking about not only propagating the faith, that is, bringing it out there and spreading it. But there's also a side to evangelism where we also have to defend the faith where people ask questions and now we have to defend what we believe. So I tell you the number one thing that you oftentimes with people who've been in the faith for quite some time, that one of the, the major things that people will bring up about their, their uh, well, sometimes it's fear, sometimes they just feel inadequate for the task is because they're afraid that when people ask them questions, they're going to look like a fool because they don't know how to answer it. Welcome to evangelism. You're not going to be able to answer everyone. You're going to be wondering, hmm, I'm not sure. You know what? I'll get back to you about that. Let's talk about that another time. You're not always going to be able to answer questions. But we do have to have a basic understanding of what the gospel is, what the good news of Jesus Christ is. And that requires that we have a theological foundation. And in addition to that, that we understand the world in which we are living. And, um, you know, this, this, is, uh, this is something worth, we could talk a long time about this, but this is something worth considering. There's sometimes people will say, you know what, if, if, if I evangelize, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what, what I'm going to say. And sometimes, sometimes my response is, um, well, how long have you been in the faith? And they'll go, well, my whole life. So I said, you're telling me that you were raised in the Christian faith and in like our circles, you've been catechized, but you don't know what to say? So I don't say that to bash, but I'm saying this to encourage us that if you, if you find yourself in that situation, to, to commit yourself to say, you know what? There are books on a back table. We're going to get more books, by the way. I notice a number of those books are gone. If you happen to have them at home or you're borrowing them, just remember to bring them back in time. But anyway, so, so, so read. Um, I want to encourage you that if you want to do some reading, some short articles that have to do with the Bible and culture, hook on to the Gospel Coalition. 
If you're taking notes, write it down, Gospel Coalition. Wonderful articles, brief articles, very good articles regarding that. And one other thing, I want to encourage us that, you know, one of the reasons why we gather together for worship is not only for the sake of community and because the Lord calls us to worship to magnify the name of Christ, but the reason why we gather together is for the preaching of the Word. Because when the Word is preached, and even when we're dealing with things like this, preaching is meant to not only proclaim Christ, but preaching is meant to instruct us and equip us for our task in this world. And one of the tasks we have is evangelism, right? So read up on these things, and, and just one other thing, um, and I want to encourage some of us here who um, find that we're, we're becoming a bit lax with our afternoon service. You know why the afternoon service is really important? It's important because it's a catechetical service. We're dealing with the foundations of our faith. And then also, after that, what we do is we have a little discussion time, whereas the Bible says iron gets to sharpen iron. So if you're accustomed to coming in the morning, I want to encourage you for the afternoon as well. Remember, we're pathway. Remember one of the, one of the core uh, commitments that we have as a church? It's very simple, being all in. And being all in means, let's be here in the morning, let's be here in the afternoon, let's go through some catechization together, let's discuss things together, and let's be equipped to live faithful lives, but also to be equipped theologically to be able to speak our faith into this world. So that encouragement, okay? Two other elements, and that is this. You can know the gospel, and you can seek to understand the world and your audience in which you are living. Um, but it's not just up here just not up here, knowing the gospel, knowing our audience. Really, um, what it also includes is relational investment, getting into people's lives. And what I mean by um, relational investment is not just um, being uh, welcoming before the worship service or after. That's, that's really important. That's a beautiful thing. And we'll look at more of uh, that next week where we looked at corporate evangelism. But relational investment means that you're willing to enter into the lives of people in a deeply relationally and encouraging way and that you're willing to spend time with them. And that means getting out. Sometimes we get into this little world of ours and after a while we're just hanging with people that we know and it requires that we pray that the Lord will open up doors for us to enter relationally into the lives of people that are outside our community. Okay, And that, that takes intentionality, right? Um, the reason why I bring that out is because that's exactly what we see in Jesus. If you take a look at the Gospel of Luke. All right, take a look at that. Now, this is a very short text from Luke chapter 15, verses 1-2. Take a look, because there's something going on here. Now, the tax gatherers and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, and they said, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Now, just a couple quick comments. You got the religious leaders, and the religious leaders didn't want to get their hands dirty with these kinds of sinners, tax gatherers and sinners, people who are immoral, many of them sexually immoral, and all this kind of stuff. But it's very interesting that Jesus had an infiltrationist perspective where he didn't separate 
but he infiltrated into the lives of these people. And what he did is, as the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders said, they, oh, how did they put it? They said, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Now, listen carefully to this. There is a common word in the original language, in the Greek language, for receiving. It's, it's a form of the word elabon. It just simply means to receive. Just receive something in your hands, let's say. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is another word, and kids, it sounds funny. It's prosdeketai, which means to receive, but also to enter into person's lives and oftentimes carries with it the connotations of table fellowship, which is exactly what Jesus is doing here. So he's not just receiving them, saying a quick hi to them, or as we would do today, shake their hands and move on. He sits down with them, and he eats. They, they notice he's eating with them, so he's, he's hanging with them. So, so what Jesus is doing, he's relationally investing into these people. So he's entering into their lives, and he's allowing them to enter into his life as well, relational investment. And one form that we have here of relational investment is our homes. And again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because we're going to be talking about that next week. But many of us have homes or we have apartments. So I want to, to uh, ask you the question. Just think about it. When was the last time that you had someone who was either unchurched or in the process of de-churching in your home. I'm not talking about people you know. I'm not talking about people you're related to. I'm not talking about fellow Pathway members. But I'm talking about individuals whom you have maybe developed somewhat of a relationship or a fellow worker or what have you who doesn't know Jesus or maybe only knows him from a distance. When's the last time you invited someone into your home and you sat down with them, whether it's a meal like Jesus, or maybe it's a cup of coffee or what have you, and you just sit down and you talk. And you don't press them with anything. You just get into their lives. Get into their background. You ask them questions. You let them into your story. Um, when's the last time you've done that? And let's say, if you haven't done that in the last year or even two years, I want you to grapple with the question, why? Why? What do you think the Lord desires? Okay? Now, please bear in mind, never, never view preaching like this. Well, okay, we're just, he's asking us to do this and this and this, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to check off this box and box and box. Evangelism is not a duty to perform. It's a, it's a privilege to open up your home to someone and enter into their lives. And by the way, when you do that, it's not only a blessing for that person as you love on that person and even maybe say, how can I pray for you? But it's also, there's a residual blessing for you. you. You get to have the blessing of entering into other people's lives who are different than you, or maybe different than a lot of us. Home hospitality, we'll pick up again on that. And then one final element, and I'm going to draw to a close. And it's one that we find in the life of the Apostle Paul. And it's very interesting that you read about Paul's conversion from a Jew embracing Judaism to the Christian faith. And and you read about that in Acts chapter 9, his dramatic conversion. And then what you find 
in other parts of the Bible, particularly in the book of Acts, where the Apostle Paul, he gets before these large crowds, official crowds. It may be the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of Jews, or even before secular kings. And what does he do? He not only evangelizes them, he speaks forth the gospel, but he, here's the final element, he tells them his story. Tells them his story. His story of what? The story of the work of God's grace in his life. My friends, listen, we, we, we all have a story. And like I said, I think it was last week, Sunday night, sometimes, especially if you grew up in the Christian faith, you go, I, I'm sorry, I don't have that dramatic story like Paul. It's okay. In fact, you probably have a better story. Because when you share your story with others, if you have done that, I dare say that it's likely that some people have said to you when you describe what your mom and dad were like and how they raised you in faith and you had an opportunity to go to a Christian school, and you talk about going to a church and singing songs and hearing the preaching of the word and all this Christian stuff that was given to you, that's the way they look at it, they're like, that's, that's incredible. My dad was a mess. My mom was a mess. My brother's homeless or what have you. And it's like, and they see the stability in your lives and they see the gospel at, uh, in, a, in, a, in its effect in your lives and they just go, wow, I wish... I wish I could have had that. That's the response they oftentimes give. I wish I had that. So tell your story because I'll leave you with this. What stories do is this. What stories do, in addition to speaking the basics of the gospel message, is they make the gospel real in person's life. You know that? That really makes it real. What, what, because when, when, when you tell your story, then what the, 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 the takeaway for a lot of people is this. Oh, Christianity and the Bible is not just a series of teachings that I'm supposed to know, but it's a transformative power that works in a person's life and literally changes them from the inside out. The gospel affects everything about life. And when they look at your life and they hear your story, they kind of go, oh, the gospel is true. Our stories make the gospel plausible. That's a beautiful thing. So I want you to think about these things. I want you to talk about them in the care groups that you're part of. And I want us to, to and I'll leave you with this, I want us to understand that evangelism is never just an obligation. It's an absolute, beautiful privilege. It is a privilege as, and come on, right? We're all beggars. We're all beggars. It's a privilege as one beggar or a collection of beggars to tell other beggars where to find bread, right? And where's that bread found? It's found in Jesus. Bread's found here. The bread is found here and in our individual lives and in the context of our home. And when those things come together, it's a beautiful thing to witness people coming to faith. And may the Lord increase that um, among us, and may we see the tangible fruits of that, one of them being collectively praying that God would let us witness not only those beautiful babies being baptized, but adults coming to faith and being baptized as well and receiving the sign and the seal of a covenant relationship and a living relationship with God. May God bless us in that. We'll look at more of this uh, next week. But before we do, let's, uh, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we consider your word 
and we hear, let us pray for open doors. We hear, let us, let us speak words of grace. We hear, be able to give an account of the hope that is within us to everyone who asks. We hear that we're called to declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We, we hear, we hear, we read, we read. And Father, we pray that these kinds of things would become embedded in our lives and that we would not only hear and see, but, oh Lord, that you would give us the hearts and the mouths ultimately to speak the gospel of Jesus into people's lives. Lord, you, you have saved many of us through that gospel. You've brought us to Jesus, and for this we are so thankful. And we pray, O oh Lord, that, that that salvation and that gospel may be the catalyst for speaking to others, O oh God, that they too may come to faith and that we may witness professions of faith in Christ, that we may witness adult baptisms, and that we may witness, O oh God, the flourishing of this church for our sakes and for others within our federation as they see these things going on. And we pray, O oh Lord, ultimately that this is all be manifest here in the context of this church and our individual lives for your glory and your majesty, O oh God, as the God of grace and the God of provision. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.